Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Deasy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me. We have another great show for you. Two of our segments involve New York City pro teams. I'll talk to New York Daily News sports writer Manish Mehta about the New York Jets and Sunday's matchup with the Giants. Tim Healy of Newsday is on to discuss the Mets hiring of Carlos Beltran as manager. I'll also talk with Union College football running back I.K. Urobor about the Dutchman winning the Liberty League title and earning a berth in the NCAA Division III playoffs. But first, it's Super Bowl weekend in Section 2, as five champions will be crowned. To talk about the games is the Hall of Fame writer, Gazette's High School's uh, writer, Jim Schultz. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ken. Well, let's begin with the Class AA game for uh, we play, take place Friday night. Shenando is in it. We knew they'd probably be there. Uh, the team we did not expect to be there. Gildeland. Yeah. They, they upset Shaker, uh, the top seed in the uh, AA uh, playoffs. I mean, how shocking was that? It's uh, It was somewhat of a surprise. I, I believe everyone, you know, from the beginning of the year was thinking Shaker, Shenandoah, and it didn't happen. Um, Gildeland defense, defense, and a little more defense, and then they got a couple of TDs. They were down. They showed something there by coming back. They didn't let it get away. You know what I mean? They could have let it get, get away, and – I just give it to them, you know, good for them. Um, they beat them. Uh, Shaker had won, I believe, 18 straight games inside Section 2. Uh, Shaker had beaten Gilderland uh, to begin the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, good for the Dutchmen. Just good good win. They get back into their second Super Bowl ever. Yeah. So that's good for them. I mean, Gilderland you know, lost his final regular season game late to CBA. Late to I mean, CBA. And then CBA drove and two minutes. Left, they drove the field and kind of a stunner there. I talked to uh, Joe Burke, the CBA coach, that night, very late. Uh, he was real excited. But, hey, next week you got to play another game. And um, great bounce back, really. Okay, what, is, back. what does that say about Gilden? It tells me that they got something. They got something inside it to bounce back and then to beat a team that beat them early in the year pretty bad, soundly. Um, uh, that's why I just give it to Gilden. I just all the credit in the world to them. Uh, now they got a tough foe in Shen. Shenandoah is on a roll. Seven in a row they've won since they also lost to Shaker. Uh, they're scoring, and they're not giving up a whole lot. So they've got it going on both sides right now. Yeah, Beach uh, running back has been outstanding. Beach has been superb. But, uh, again, at practice yesterday, it's, it starts with the big boys up front. They're, and everyone will credit to the, you know, on the team, which I like about Shenandoah. They uh, guy does a good job. They'll let People know, and they've talked up their line, their offensive line. That the uh, they've done a great job. So then Beach, uh, uh, Brody uh, Vincenzi stepped in at QB uh, early in the year has led them. Um, they're a good team. They got it. They got it going on both sides right now. Yeah. Not saying that Shaker took Gildan lightly, but what does Shen have to do to avoid, since Shaker's not there, that they've won the title already? Yeah. No, they're not looking past anybody because. Um, uh, Gilderland is, is, they're coming off a big win. Okay. They had the little glitch against CBA, but they've won, I believe, uh, three out of four games since they have their, uh, injured quarterback, uh, uh, Mike Gitto was injured. He's come back for the last four games. 
to lead them. So Gildeland hasn't seen – they know who the, uh, the young man is. They just haven't played against him this year. He throws and, and runs, and um, he provides a little different element. And, and again, Gildeland is kind of on a little roll right now. So Shenandoah is not – looking past Gilbert. Yeah, it's dangerous. That's dangerous always look at. They're going there. I believe they're going for lucky 13. Uh, they'll need not luck, but they have to play well. Yeah. Yeah. One other championship game we played uh, Friday night, so the Class C matchup, Stillwater mm. against Cambridge-Salem. To me, that could be a tight contest. But You, you know, know, you know, Cambridge-Salem and Cambridge before that, uh, great tradition. Just nothing but pure respect for that program. But – Stillwater has something really special this year. They've got it going on both sides. They have a line. They have big boys, and they got uh, uh, James Galarno, a QB, is back for this is fourth year as a varsity guy. You know, uh, third year as a starter. Um, Mason Seymour running. uh, Stillwater is very good this year, and I think uh, you know nobody's asking me, but I give them a slight edge to. uh, to get that Super Bowl, that first Super Bowl. I'm asking you. I'm going to win the game. Let me let me ask yeah. you about the, the double. Who yeah. wins that? Gilmore? I, I mean, I'm I, sorry, Shen wins I, that. I do believe yeah. uh, Shenandoah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not not ruining everyone. You know, everyone knows I, I attended Gildeland, but I have to call it like I see yeah. it. Uh, I think not a blowout. I think Gildeland's going to give him a heck of a game. I'm anticipating a, a fantastic double A championship. Yeah. There'll be three championship games on Saturday. Let's start with Class B, where Holy Trinity yep. takes on Schuylerville. Yeah, both teams won on the road last week uh, with Holy Trinity eliminating defending champion, state champion Glens mm. Falls and yeah. Schuylerville beating Shamont. I mean, a couple weeks ago, Jim, you know, Shamont yeah. beats Holy Trinity to get the top seed. And, I mean, the way we looked yeah. at it, it, Holy Trinity could have hurt because, obviously, you know, had, they had to win their quarterfinal game, and then they would face Glens Falls. That happened. Yep. And ends up they end up winning at, at Glens Falls. And – and, and we say Shamont got eliminated in the semifinal. I mean, are you surprised we got the, the title game this way? Uh, no, I am not surprised. For backing up, Shamont has had a tough time with Skylerville uh, last few years, and they, they could not get over that hump. And uh, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised with if, if Glens Falls won or if Holy Trinity won. And the game indicated it was that close. It came down, you know, uh, the kid kicks a field goal at the end, but – both teams scored a ton of points. I'm not surprised Holy Trinity beat them, but if Glens Falls had beaten them, that wouldn't have surprised me either. Both teams are that good. Uh, Holy Trinity's take was we're going to play Glens Falls sometime. Yeah. And, again, talking to head coach John Barber yesterday, that was the case. They needed to play them sometime yeah. and beat them if they want to go to the state tournament. It happened to be in the semi, and they, they got some big plays from a lot of guys. Yeah. The fact, I mean, this is their first year in B. They played in C Correct. last year, yeah. which I think Robbie Greenwich and Cameron Sale were happy. Sure. <laughs> be, but yeah. the fact, I mean, they, yeah. they, they didn't really miss a beat in moving up to Class B. Nope. They, they've handled the competition. Yep. I, mean, they, I mean, the only blemish was the game against Shaman. But yeah. to go up to Glens Falls, host, I don't know if it's hostile environment, right. say, but a tough environment. Yeah. State champions, defending state champions, uh, and you beat them. Yeah. I mean, that to me is very impressive. It was super impressive. That showed something about Holy Trinity. They they're very determined. They're still smarting from last year. You know, they they won the class, uh, class C title, uh, won two seventeen, yeah. and uh, they got derailed last year in the playoffs. So they're and a lot of the key kids are back, and they're very hungry. It's their senior year, and they wanted to get it done and. Some of the seniors stepped up big time. Joey Tortello and uh, Noah Foster in particular. 
Uh, Foster with uh, four touchdown catches. Yeah, you know yeah. it's pretty good. Tortello, I gotta, I, I gotta throw something out for Joey. He uh, had another big game. Not sure his number specifically, but uh, he is up to I believe thirty-seven TD passes. He needs two more to tie his own section two record. He's over two thousand yards passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just changed himself uh, physically, and he's just playing fantastic mm-hmm. football. What does Skyler will have to do to stop him? Wow. Okay. Uh, I thought of this a lot. Uh, we believe, I believe they're going to score. Okay. They're going to score. They have to play the greatest defensive game ever because I think although Skylerville is going to score, I don't think they can match Holy Trinity's offensive firepower. So um, I do believe Holy Trinity is going to win the game. Um, what they have to do would play the perfect defensive game, get a few TDs, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. I, I now, now before we move on, Skylerville gets better every year. They're on a roll now. I believe they've won. They they lost earlier to Glens Falls, and they haven't lost since. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw it out, uh, John Bowen, their coach. Great job every year. Not a lot of kids, and they get better and better. So I think it, they're gonna they're gonna play tough. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how long they can hang in. Yeah. We, we shall see. Yeah. Well, Mike Kelly, sports center, predicted last week it would be a Skylerville Holy Trinity, and he's uh, bragging about it somewhere. Right? But uh, we, we don't want to let his ego in the parting shot. Yeah, right. His head wouldn't fit there. Uh-huh. We're kidding, Mike, of course. Uh, Class A final, Troy and Queensbury. You've seen Queensbury a couple, couple of times. A uh, couple of times. Uh, do they have a chance against Troy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're playing very well with what they do. You know, they pack in the, uh, the double-wing offense, and uh, Jason Rodriguez, their junior running back, Boy, he's having a great year. So they block for him. I, they, they're just a good team, and they play tough. They're tough. They play good defense. Troy uh, with the uh, Xavier Lee, super running back, super running back. Um, Troy's tough. Troy's tough. They're just going to – it's going to be – the physicalness of this game should be – if people like you know hard-hitting games, this one's going to be that. Uh, tough to call. You know, I'm going to lean on Queensbury a little bit. I just really very, very impressed with them. Uh, so, on the last couple of times when they beat Burn Hills uh, two times in three weeks, uh, I like Queensbury. Okay. Yeah. And the D final Saturday, uh, Warrensburg taking on Chatham. Just uh, we prediction. Do, we don't yeah. cover them yeah. a lot. Just, don't know a just lot. Just pick, about a, pick a Oh, one. of course. I'm going to take Warrensburg. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Like their helmets. Yeah, that's a good reason to pick it. There we go. All right. Well, on that note, Jim, thanks sure. for talking some high school football. Yep, you got All it. All right, that's Jim Schultz, because that's sports writer and the Hall of Famer. Coming up, I'll speak with New York Daily News sports writer Manish Mehta about the state of the New York Jets and their matchup with the Giants on Sunday. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hi, this is Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletes. Notable Trophy Case team members include Ron Jaworski, former NFL quarterback and founder of Jaws Youth Playbook, who says, Throughout my success in the sports world, I believe Trophy Case can bring value to many different levels of athletes and unrepresented sports. This platform will level the playing field for athletes at the beginning of their career with technology for generations to come.
You can download the Trophy Case app and the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Get it today. Back on the Pony Shots podcast, I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Well, on Sunday, the two teams that occupy MetLife Stadium will battle for bragging rights and say that they are slightly better. The 2-7 and seven Giants take on the 1-7 Jets. It's been an awful season for both teams. Uh, the pre- preview of the game and the Jets in particular, we have the Jets beat writer for the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta. Uh, Manish, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Ken. Appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on for a few minutes here. And I'll ask, how bad is this game going to be Sunday? <laughs> well, you mentioned bragging rights. I'm not sure uh, the winner of this game is going to be bragging that much because they're obviously out of uh, playoff contention uh, midway through the season. You know, it's unfortunate because I know that, for, at least from a Jet perspective, there's some hope that they would play competitive in December. You know, perhaps not make the postseason, but at least be in the conversation. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Jets, the team you've covered for uh, for a while now for the uh, for the Daily News. This team is really a total mess. I mean, it goes back to when they fired Todd Bowles, I think, back uh, after the season. Mike McCagan uh, fired him and then hires uh, Adam Gase. You know, shortly after the draft, McCagan gets fired. Uh, Gase takes over as interim GM. Then Joe Douglas comes in as the uh, new GM. You know, Gase was supposed to be an offensive wizard, but this team has struggled to score. I mean, is Gase in trouble? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. It's a question that Jet fans obviously want an answer to right now. But uh, Christopher Johnson, the CEO, the acting owner, while Woody Johnson is in England, has uh, a lot invested in Adam Gates. You know, him, but he also, as you mentioned, fired Mike McCagan and then essentially allowed Adam Gates to elect his replacement, Joe Douglas. Uh, now, Christopher Johnson had to sign off on that, but. No, make, make no mistake about it, that was an Adam Gates decision uh, other than signing the check. So uh, Christopher Johnson has a lot of best in this guy. Uh, you're right. Uh, this team is 1-7 statistically from an offensive standpoint. They are the clear worst offense in the NFL. That's not the, the guy that we were believed uh, would be coming aboard. Christopher Johnson called Adam Gates a quote-unquote innovator who was, quote, coaching football to where it's going. Uh, the only place the Jets have been going is down the toilet to this point. So I think the biggest question, uh, if you're a Jets follower, is will Adam Gates actually bring the best out of Sam Darnold, or will he do more harm than good? Because that needs to be the central point here. The Jets don't have much uh, from a talent perspective. They've got some decent players, but just from a foundation, young core perspective, they're building everything around Sam Darnold. And if you are not convinced that Gates can pull the best out of this young player, then perhaps you should go in a different direction. But uh, I, I just don't think ownership is ready to do that now. Uh, obviously, you want to see how it can play out over the second half of the season, but uh, there's a financial component to this, too. Uh, but just from an ego standpoint, uh, I don't believe, that, at least at this point, Christopher Johnson's ready to move on. He's actually uh, offended by this notion of uh, being criticized for hiring Adam Gates. He's told people privately that he thinks that the criticism from the fan base and the media uh, regarding the hire is unwarranted, which is really laughable to me because I think for any objective person, you would, you would say that at the very least, criticizing this decision uh, after these uh, first eight games is absolutely warranted. 
I mean, if Adam Gase is such an offensive genius and all that stuff, why isn't he still coaching the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's an, always an excuse with Adam Gase, and I think if you dig deep, and I've had the opportunity to do that over the last 10 months, uh, you will find that uh, he's a professional excuse maker. That's actually uh, the way that one general manager described him to me as. Uh, it's always somebody else's fault. It's, it's, there's an injury here. Uh, uh, the quarterback might not be good enough uh, in Ryan Pattyhill. Uh, you know, when it comes to the Jets, Sam Darnold missed uh, a couple games with Mono. They don't have C.J. Mosley. It's always something. There's always an excuse in my position has always been, uh, forget about the Jets for a moment, just from a, a pro sports perspective, my position has always been that if you want to make an excuse, you can find an excuse around every corner. They're, they're readily available, and losers make excuses. Winners adapt, they adjust. And they overcome. And I think if you look around the league this year uh, at the quarterback position, there's been a litany of injuries. And you've seen second stringers, third stringers, uh, not only have their team be competitive, but win games. You know, whether it was Jacksonville, Gardner Mitchell, or Kyle Allen, who was by and large a practice squad player for Carolina last year, uh, or Mason Rudolph, or uh, their third string quarterback that Pittsburgh had, uh, and even Denver last year. Last week, they had you know, they had a third string quarterback uh, win a football game. So the idea that the Jets were non competitive when Sam Darnold wasn't the quarterback is a clear indictment on Adam Gates. And I don't see how you can look at it any other way. You can say that Luke Falk's not an NFL quarterback. That's all well and good. But how many people thought all these other quarterbacks on these other teams were any good? And somehow, you know, their play callers, their offensive coordinators, their head coaches managed to win football games or at least be competitive. Uh, you know, Adam Gates was non-competitive without Sam Darnold, and he's 1-4 and four with Sam Darnold. Uh, something needs to change, and it needs to change quickly. And, of course, the whole Sam Darnold, I'm seeing ghosts against the New England Patriots, uh, which it seems like uh, Gates was more upset at ESPN for allowing that to go on the air than he is with, with Darnold actually saying that. So it just tells you me that's, that's another – seems like another excuse that he's making. Absolutely. It, it, that's a red herring. That's just a, a, a distraction to take you away from the fact that the team was embarrassed by the Patriots that night. It's unfortunate that NFL Films cleared that clip, but I can tell you covering the league for as long as I've covered the league, uh, you know, quarterbacks use that phrase, seeing ghosts, all the time. I mean, that's a common phrase. Unfortunately for Darnold, he got caught on tape and he got put on national TV. But the, you know, the Jets issues go well beyond <laughs> that embarrassment. They have severe issues at, uh, on offense. They've got issues on defense as well, but the glaring issues are on offense. The quarterback has taken steps backwards over the last three weeks, and uh, he really does not look that much like anything we saw in December when he was trending up. And so you have to ask your question. You have to ask the question, why? Well, what is different around Sam Darnold this year? And uh, the answer is pretty clear. He's got a coach, a different play caller. And, uh, Adam Gates, for all the good ideas he has, and I know that he has. He's done a poor job of adapting those ideas to best suit his 22-year-old quarterback. He's calling plays and living as if he's got Peyton Manning at quarterback, a 15-year-old veteran uh, who's uh, you know who's bound for cash. He doesn't have that guy in Sam Donald right now, and he needs to adapt and adjust appropriately to bring the best out of his quarterback. Because the worst thing that could happen to this franchise. Forget about losing games the remainder of this year. But the worst thing would be to cause irreparable damage 
to Darnold, psyche to Darnold's, uh, you know, playing. You, know, you don't want him falling into bad habits. Something like that can score a young quarterback for the rest of his career. So he needs to get it right with the right with the quarterback over these last eight weeks to provide some kind of hope for ownership to the fan base. Because uh, I can tell you right now, there's more belief and trust in Sam Darnold inside that organization than there is in the head coach. Yeah. Speaking of, you talk about the game against the Patriots being embarrassing. You know, last past this past Sunday, they go down to Miami, a team that's really been awful and is basically tanking for the season, and they end up giving uh, Miami their first one of the season. I mean, that to me, that that's 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 about as low as you can get if they can't sink any lower. Yeah, it's probably rock bottom, but you know, I, I hesitate to say defeat is probably rock bottom because every time I think that they hit rock bottom, they surprise me and they go even lower. But uh, you're right. You know, this is a franchise in Miami that you know the players and the coaches aren't trying to lose. But the, the, the philosophy is, hey, well, let's try to position ourselves to get a franchise quarterback in the 2020 draft. And uh, they, they were outclassed, the Jets were, by this Miami team. And I know how badly Adam Gates wanted to stick it to Stephen Ross, who fired uh, 10 months ago. Uh, ironically, it was Ross who got the last laugh on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, there's some other issues with the Jets. I mean, they cut, cut an offensive lineman for his you know, shoulder, getting soldier surgery, despite thinking he doesn't need it. They trade Leonard Williams across the uh, field to, to the Giants, uh, possibly shopping Jamal Adams. I mean, and now there's also been reports that uh, the Steelers were talking to the Jets about getting uh, Le'Veon Bell back. See, what what is this team doing? I mean, what is this organization doing? It's just it's, it's a total mess. Well, look, my position's always been that, you know, good organizations, whether it's pro sports or business technology, good organizations are good from the top down. If you have a strong leadership, uh, you know, strong CEO, strong ownership, uh, you're, yeah, you're probably going to have a good organization. If it's a, a weak uh, owner, a weak decision maker at the very top, the odds are you're going to have issues throughout your organization at, at various levels. And that's what you see with the Jets. You see a lack of accountability. Adam Gates has not comported himself like a leader in any way. Uh, you know, he, he handled the Kalechi Assembly situation that you alluded to earlier uh, so poorly. Uh, and, you know, that lack of leadership doesn't stop and start with Adam Gates. It goes up. It goes higher than him. It goes to Christopher Johnson, who's temporarily in charge while his brother, the owner, Woody, is working for the Trump administration in England. And Christopher Johnson has shown no accountability whatsoever. He sold this entire fan base, uh, you know, all of these great, potentially great things about Adam Gates, and what has Christopher Johnson done to this point in the season? He's disappeared. He has not been accountable in any form or fashion, and that, to me, is poor leadership. That's also poor public relations. Their public relations strategy has been uh, laughable, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't think they quite understand that the, you know, when things aren't going well on the field, you don't exacerbate the situation by having... Uh, it is really a, a poor PR strategy and that Colossio Assembly situation. Again, that's another example of poor PR strategy. They, they released no statement uh, while all of that was going on. Uh, however, they had a PR official disparage the player, a player who's still a member of the Jets, uh, through back channels. And that is, that, that is just the epitome of poor public relations. And that's just another... That's just another element to the, the, the poor decisions that this organization has made, whether it was the governor, whether it was the head coach, public relations. They're all intertwined, and they're all a mess. And I think that 
the reason that they're a mess is because there's weak leadership at the very top of the total pole. Yeah, we see the Giants obviously struggling. I mean, they're, they're, they put in uh, uh, the new quarterback this year. Uh, but uh, I mean, how do you see this game coming up Sunday? I mean, do you see the Giants winning because they, even though they're just as bad, at least they seem to have some organization uh, as opposed to the Jets? Well, the Giants have been competitive, and, and we saw that on Monday night. And they, they played, uh, I would say, about 29 minutes of good football. The first 29 minutes, they kind of fell apart in the last minute of the first half. And then, they, obviously, they fell apart in the second half. But at least they've been competitive. And I don't know who's going to win. When you're talking about a game in which the, the, the two teams are combined 3-14, and 14, seven losses apiece, I think it could obviously go either way. I, I don't know how it's going to unfold. Uh, I, what I do know that is, if one of these teams gets blown out, if it's non-competitive, then you know that that losing coach, that losing organization is going to have a lot to answer for. Uh, do you and your colleague Pat Leonard have a bet on this game? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't talked to Pat yet. Uh, I'll talk to him throughout the week, but. Uh, you know, I, I do know this. I'm no longer picking the Jets to win any game the remainder of the season. And I know I'm going to be wrong, of course, because I do think they'll they have a really good chance to win games against the Redskins and Cincinnati that's still on their schedule. They also have Miami at home, so maybe they get a little revenge there. So I'm not going to be right, but I picked the Jets uh, one too many times in the first half of the season. Uh, you know, seeing is believing for me until they start winning games. I'm going to uh, kind of steer clear from uh, predicting any kind of victory on there. Right. Uh, Manisha, where can people find you uh, on uh, social media? I'm on Twitter, first initial, last name. So it's M-M-E-H-T-A, and then N-Y-D-N, which stands for New York Daily News, obviously. And uh, I'm sure... I'm sure you can find me. It's not that difficult. Okay, I do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna follow you. I've been. I do read your tweets. I do read your stories. Uh, we get your stories uh, via the Tribune news service on our uh, wire. So I do ever get the chance to read your stories, and you do a good job. And I appreciate you coming on to talk about the Jets. And let's do it again sometime down the road. Thank you. Right, I appreciate it. it. I say again. Uh, say hi to Pat for me. If we get a chance. I will. Are you from Philly? Uh, yeah, we are. We are. Pat and I are uh, graduates of the same high school. A few years apart, though. Nice, nice. Yeah, cool. So I've had I've had Pat on I've had Pat on a couple times to talk to Giants. So uh, was, that's why I was sort of seeing what the bet if there's going to be a bet or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, they, they suck. Come on, I'm definitely not betting on the Jets. I would never bet. He wants to take it the other way. Maybe he'll bet on the Jets to win, and I'll bet on the Giants to win, and maybe come to an, an agreement there. That'd be intriguing. That'd be an interesting uh, situation. Well, but each appreciate you coming yeah. on. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much. That's Manisha Metz of the New York Daily News. Coming up, we'll keep our focus on New York City area sports teams. The New York Mets have a new manager, and Newsday's Tim Hilly will discuss the hiring of Carlos Beltram. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hey, pro football fans. It's time again to match which with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com slash football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook at dailygazette.com slash football.
Welcome back to the Party Shots podcast. The New York Mets have a new manager, and once again, they went for someone with no managerial experience. However, Carlos Beltran had an outstanding 20-year major league career for several teams, including the Mets, and he won a World Series with the Houston Astros in 2017. To talk about the Beltran hiring is the Mets beat writer for Newsday, Tim Healy. Tim, uh, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm excellent, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Well, the, the search is over, and uh, yeah, there were some veteran managerial candidates out there the Mets could have hired, such as Joe Girardi and uh, Buck Showalter. Instead, Brody Van Wagenen went for Beltran. What did you think of his decision? I thought it was bold, like so much of what Brody tries to do, and I think it's, I think it's exciting. You know, Beltran, one of the all-time great Mets. I know a lot of Mets fans from the uh, millennial and Gen Z generation. For, for, for all those fans, he was, you know, one of the stars of that team. Those teams, you know, uh, you know, oh five to eleven. You almost never see a star player come back to manage the team. I have no idea if it's going to go well or not. I think it's very hard to predict if the manager will be successful, especially in his first go around. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun finding out. It does having that major league playing experience make him a better fit than Mickey Calloway. Playing alone or having a very successful career will necessarily make you a better manager, but it does lend itself to commanding respect in the clubhouse, getting people to listen to you, things along those lines. And I think there's a lot to be said, too, of the bilingual and multicultural dynamic there. Uh, uh, Beltran will be able to sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a major league clubhouse is very uh, divided sometimes, just naturally broken up into clicks. And I think Beltron, being the kind of player he was and the, the background that he has, uh, will be able to help bring everybody together. And the fact that he just, you know, he's only uh, two years removed from playing major league baseball. He, I mean, a lot of these players probably, you know, growing up watched him and play. So, I mean, they had to be in awe. It's like, oh my gosh, one of our idols is going to be managing this art managing me i mean I, i'm going to play hard for him yeah yeah that, that's another aspect of it too he's only two years removed from playing from winning a world series actually with the astros um so that's a, a quicker than normal than turnaround than we usually see from player to manager um but uh it's gonna be part of uh, it, it could be another asset for beltron in terms of relating to players uh these days and uh you know applying analytics or information as you like to call it um to game planning and other decisions well the one thing in your story that we ran tuesday in the gazette uh which we get through the tribune news service the one quote that's really stood out for me from beltran was your gm has to be your best friend literally the way uh labs and other decisions have been presented to me is going to be collaboration they're going to give me all this information they're going to make me make the decisions, which I appreciate. I mean, collaboration to me, I mean, that's co-work for maybe, maybe, I mean, there's reports that, you know, Van Wagenen called down to the uh, clubhouse during the season. I mean, do you want too much, is is too much collaboration with the GM during make moves? Is, is How did you take that quote? I took that quote as the Mets operate like, pretty much any other organization these days in baseball in that uh, analytics and a lot of data is used in lineup construction. Um, 
I, I don't really think that Brody calls down and tells the manager when to take such and such pitcher out or when to pinch it so and so. Um, I, I don't really believe that. Um, but Beltron seems to understand that just the nature of the manager GM dynamic in baseball these days is such that they work very closely together on pretty much everything. Whereas in, in generations past, manager had a little more autonomy on the lineup, on his roster, things like that. Um, that's not so much the case anymore. Now, it's, that it's worth noting that Beltron comes from, you know, having served as a special advisor for the Yankees for the past year, who, and they certainly operate this way. Uh, before that, he wrapped up his playing career with the Astros, who are, you know, famous in baseball for, uh, you know, applying data to game decisions. So um, I think <laughs> in some ways, Beltron may, able, may be able to teach his Mets bosses a thing or two about how this should work. I mean, you look at, across town at the Yankees. I mean, Aaron Boone had no managerial experience uh, coming in, and he's had a successful run so far. Do you think the Mets are hoping the same thing happens with uh, Carlos Beltran? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think Boone was successful as a first-time manager. Alex Cora in Boston, Dave Martinez in Washington, um, uh, Dave Roberts in Los Angeles. I mean, the, the list goes on. I think a lot of some Mets fans were scared of or wary of a first-time manager or a manager without previous big league experience because of the bad experience of Mickey Calloway. Uh, but Mickey Calloway's failure is not an indictment of all first-time managers. And the, the, the reality is that especially these days, teams are very comfortable going to previously unexperienced managers to run their team in the dugout. Uh, and it's really, it's about those put around them, the coaching staff, most importantly, the players that will determine the success of the team, not so much the manager and whether or not he's done it before. Well, the coaching staff, that's going to be interesting dynamic. Obviously, you know, does Phil Regan come back as the pitching coach? He did such a great job taking over midseason. But what about the rest of the staff? It's all question marks right now. Beltran's going to have a heavy influence uh, in that. One thing he did say Monday is that he hopes to have the, the veteran coaching staff. He said it's not so much about the big, sexy names as so much it is about people who are willing to uh, teach and put in the hours, things along those lines. Bill Regan, you, you're right. Bill Regan came in and really helped the Mets turn it around in the second half. Bill Regan and Jeremy Accardo together did that. Jeremy Accardo was the pitching strategist, they called him. But he was the... Uh, uh, you know, the analytics guy, so to speak, um, in that tandem. So I think no matter who they end up picking there for pitching coach, pitching coach really is a two-person job these days, the way a lot of teams do it. You're seeing that more and more, and the Mets went to that midseason last year. So uh, a lot of coaching staff decisions to be determined, but for bench coach in particular, I expect it to be a former NL manager, uh, just to give Well, if you want to take um, Philly's ex-manager, you can go, <laughs> go right ahead and get Kapler. Gonna... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm from Philadelphia, so I'm happy that uh, Kapler's out of there and they got Girardi. But, yeah. Well, speaking of Girardi. Gir- hired by the Giants. Yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, speaking of Girardi, and I mentioned Showalter, 
do you think did, were they even given interviews uh, with uh, the Brody talk to those guys and what attracted him to Beltran in the first place? Uh, wait. Brody did talk did the Mets did talk to Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi had a few interviews with the Mets, um, but ultimately there just wasn't that uh, bond, I guess, that Brody was looking for. Um, and Joe Walter, I can't really speak to as much. I, he wasn't really involved in the Mets search, but frankly, with eight teams looking for a manager this offseason, you think he got maybe one interview. So um, sometimes uh, a guy just doesn't get another chance. You know what I mean? And then, uh, what was the second part of that? Uh, I think it was like, you know, what attracted uh, Van Wagenen to uh, Beltran? Oh, well, uh, I, I think Brody off the bat was said he was committed to casting a wide net, um, much like this time a year ago when the Mets were looking for a general manager and they were looking high and low and under every rock for uh, people to replace Sandy Alderson. They ended up with uh, a player agent of all people who it turns out wanted or was open to becoming general manager. And I think Brody really carried that with him, um, looking in unorthodox places. And it just so turns out that there was, there was a candidate, uh, in New York who knows the Mets very well. Um, I think two, two early connections that really mattered for the Beltron and Mets process were Allard Baird and Omar Minaya. Baird is the assistant GM, Manaya, a special assistant to the GM, but uh, whatever, no matter their titles, they are two key members of Brody Van Wagenen's inner circle in the front office, and both of those guys have known Beltran for a long, long time. Baird in Kansas City, and Omar Manaya, of course, with the Mets a decade ago when, more than a decade ago now is when he got the contract, but when Beltran first signed for the Mets, and Omar was the one who brought him in. So those were two key connections that Beltran had previously, and that sort of got his foot in the door, so to speak, and uh, you know, get to know Brody, somebody with whom he was not previously familiar. Beltran, as we mentioned, had an outstanding twenty-year career. I mean, he made lots of money. Why? What? What? What, what is driving him to become a manager? Because it seemed like he could just sit back on the <laughs> and just yeah, you know, relax and just enjoy enjoy life. That's a really good question. I had the same question. And Beltran's answer was a combination of his passion for the game and his desire to remain in it in a very full-time way and also a sense of obligation to pass forward his knowledge that he grew over those 20 years. And you're right, a guy who is that successful, who has that much money, he doesn't need the grind and the hassle. Uh, somebody asked him, you know, why, why come back to this grind and deal with the headaches again? And he said, I dealt with the headaches for, for 20 years. You know, what, what's a few more headaches? And then, <laughs> I mean, it's coming from a guy who, who seems to really enjoy it. Um, because of the success and because of the money, because he doesn't need to be here, the fact that he wants to be, and with the Mets of all teams, I think it, it says a lot about his desire to do this job. Have the Mets fans ever forgiven him for 2006 taking that call third strike? <laughs> I always thought he got an unfair rap for that. <laughs> the reality is, over his over his seven year contract, it was very much worth the money for the Mets. It's, uh, it's too bad they don't sign more players, more good players to contract like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the National League East has the World Series champion and the Washington Nationals. 
So it's just going to make the NL East a lot more competitive uh, next year. We obviously the Braves won the division again this year. Uh, the Nationals were the wild card team. Uh, the Phillies and the Mets, you know, the Mets, uh, you know, the Marlins. We can just sort of, uh, you know, they'll be you know, bringing up the rear again. But just how competitive you think this NL East is going to be with you know, now? You know, Washington is the national uh, the, is the World Series champion. I think it's going to be very competitive, a lot like it was this year, uh, and because of those two teams at the top. Now, the Mets, the, the Mets have some moves to make, and they can, you know, probably talk a big game again like they did last year. But the reality is, they were the third place team this year, and the teams in front of them were the Braves, who are back to back division champions, and the Nationals, who all of a sudden are world champions, which I think pretty much is expected outside of the Nationals themselves, maybe. Uh, even coming into October. Uh, as far as what the division will look like next year, yeah, it, it'll probably be tough because the Braves are in good shape. Are in good shape. The, Nat, the Phillies should be good. The Nationals, you can't discount them because they just won, but they are potentially losing Anthony Rendon and or Steven Strasburg, two huge pieces who are free agents now. So we'll have to see how the cookie crumbles there. And who knows, maybe some of those guys uh, stay in the division elsewhere or even with the Nationals. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a lot to be determined on that front, but uh, early signs are, yes, absolutely. The, div- the, the division is going to be very tough again next year. What did you think of the Nationals winning the way they did? You know, the first World Series, first you know, any championship series where the uh, road team won all the games? That was very strange. I, I love the novelty, the quirkiness of that, that all of the history we've seen in baseball, this has never happened before. I just, I just love that sort of thing. That's why baseball's great. Uh, as for the Nationals winning, frankly, they kept proving me wrong. I watched the Nationals a bunch this year just by virtue of covering the Mets. And, man, that bullpen was terrible. <laughs> Coming into October, I wasn't even sure if the Nationals were, were good. You know, there was a real possibility. They didn't get out of that wild card game. Um, I didn't believe in the bullpen at all, as good as the rotation was, as many star hitters as they have. I didn't think they had enough to get it done, and they proved me wrong repeatedly, sometimes in creative ways, like when they used Corbin out of the bullpen those times. Um, Anibal Sanchez was a guy I think probably a lot of people still sleep on, especially after the big three first names in that rotation. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun to watch the Nationals win it all. I'll, I'll be curious to see how they, uh, you know, Try to piece the bullpen together again and replace some of their guys who might be leaving. Yeah, and I think the Astros are going to regret uh, keeping Garrett Cole in the bullpen in Game Seven when they could have used him uh, to protect the lead they had. And I think that was the big mistake AJ Hinch made made in uh, Game Seven. Yeah, that was a curious move. Usually, when a guy's available like that, you know, an all hands on deck situation, he had a few days rest. You'd think you'd get in for an inning or two, and then it just didn't happen, and it sort of got away from them. That was. Uh, up there with Dave Roberts, I guess. I guess the flip side is Dave Roberts in the uh, division series choosing to use Clayton Kershaw when he was available, and then that not working out either. So maybe, maybe you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a great, yeah, it was a great season. Like I said, you know, you'll always love Game Seven. Just baseball. I mean, home field advantage did not mean anything. It was just, it was, it was a great series, even though. I'm a, like I said, I'm a Phillies fan, grew up in Philadelphia. I hate the Nationals. I hate everybody else in the National League East, but uh, it, it was, it was just, it was interesting. The series, I feel great for the people 
you know, stuck by this team. I feel bad for the the Montreal Expos fans who you know suffered for years and you know, the '94 okay. blew up in their face with the with the strike and then just really ruined baseball up there. But uh, you know, hopefully Montreal gets a team again. But uh, it was like I said, a great World Series, and uh, we'll see what happens in uh, 2020. Terrific World Series and. Uh... Spring training is right around the corner. It'll be here before we before we know it. Yeah, of course, free agency is starting right now, so it's going to be a lot of interesting signings. And as you said, Rendon and Strasburg are probably uh, at the head of the list. So it'll be a lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff coming up this uh, hot stove season. It tends to work out that way. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe not as quickly as we'd like. It might drag out like last year, but we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah. Well, Tim, remind people where they can find you on uh, social media. I'm, I'm on Twitter at tim. B is in boy, and then Healy, my last name, H-E-A-L-E-Y, Tim B. Healy, on Twitter. They can follow me there. Well, Tim, appreciate a few minutes talking uh, the Mets, and uh, let's do it again. We don't talk before the end of the year. Have a great uh, holiday season. We'll catch up in 2020. Sounds good. Thank you, All Tim. right. That's uh, Tim Healy of Newsday. Up next, I'll talk with Union College football running back I.K. Irabor about the Dutchman winning the Liberty League football title last Saturday. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android in your app store. Back here on the Parting Shots podcast, my next guest rushed for 181 yards and scored three touchdowns, including the game winner uh, with 2.23 left on Saturday to beat Ithaca 31-21. It's I.K. Irabor. I.K., welcome to uh, the Parting Shots podcast. Thanks for having me. You guys won the Liberal League title with that uh, game on Saturday against Ithaca at Ithaca. I mean, how big was that? Because uh, Ithaca was coming in on the roll. I mean, they shut out their past two opponents, uh, and you go in there and score 31. So how I mean, how big was that, and how great is it to feel uh, being Liberty League champions? It's actually a really great feeling, honestly, because, like, we, were, we came into the game as underdogs, and we haven't been underdogs this whole year so far. So, like, going into that game, winning the way we did was a, was a great feeling for us. Now, you guys, it was a completed two-game road trip. You guys went to Buffalo State, and there was a lot of concern going into that game that maybe you wanted to, you know, the focus wasn't going to be there because you were obviously looking ahead to Ithaca. You guys won that game Buffalo State. What was the mindset in practice going into that Ithaca game? No, in fact, also, they were here last year, and they shut you guys out. Our mindset was to stay focused throughout every, every play we did during practice, like work hard, play hard, and like execute every play that we do. Uh, did, you know, was there any concern that there was going to be some in, in, intimidation because Ithaca has been so good? In all honesty, no. Our team this whole week, like last week, was excited to play them. Like we've we've been waiting for this for a whole year now. So like once we got there, we're like, all right, it's time to play. Yeah. As I mentioned, you scored three touchdowns. Ithaca scores with three sixteen left in the fourth quarter to get within three. Uh, you guys get the ball back, and two plays later, you, you know, bust open a forty-six yard touchdown run to seal the win. What did that feel like as you were running toward the end zone and knowing that you're going to be up by 10 points? Honestly, it was a great feeling considering, like, the, the whole game. They were saying, like, oh, I can't do anything against them. Like, the whole game, they wanted they wanted to, to stop the run. But, like, after that play, I was like, all right, here, here's, here's the game. Yeah. I mean, you got – you. I said you rushed 38 times in that game on uh, Saturday. Ithaca, their running, whole running uh, – <laughs> Uh, come back. The running backs combined for twenty rushes. So, I mean, did 
Coach uh, Behrman wanted to emphasize the run going into this game. I think he wanted to emphasize the run to open up the passing game for our for our team. So yeah. Um, you, know, you sat out the Buffalo State game with a minor foot injury, more of a precaution. Uh, looking back on it now, I mean, how important was it to maybe get that extra week of rest to, to get your foot better and be ready for Ithaca? I think it was like it was a good idea for for my coach to keep me out for that game, even though like yeah, I could have played, but like just just to keep safe for this game for the Ithaca game. Was it a little frustrating though at first? Uh, you had to sit out. A little bit, but then, like, after watching my team play, I was like, I was just enjoying the game as it went by. Um, you know, this year so far, you've rushed for uh, nearly 1,000 yards coming up on that. Uh, I mean, and last year you had 798 yards on 10, 10 TDs in nine games, and uh, this year, you, like you said, you're, you're rushing for over nearly 1,000 yards. How important is it to, to get to that 1,000-yard mark? Uh, for me, like, it doesn't really matter as much. I just want to, like, contribute as much as I can to this team. So I'm going to run as fast as possible. I'm going to break every tackle I can. How do you think you've improved this year from last year? Uh, honestly, feel like I, my vision is a lot better this year than last year, even though, like, yeah, I, had, I broke a lot of tackles last year. But this year, I see the hole. I'm going downhill. I'm not making as many moves as I did last year. You have two games left in the season. Uh, you both at home. You play uh, Utica in a non-conference uh, game Saturday, and then the following Saturday you have the uh, Dutchman Shoes game against RPI. You guys are in the NCAA playoffs already. You got the Liberty League title. How important is it to keep momentum going? You know, the big win. Sometimes there's always that letdown after the big win. How important is it to keep momentum going these last two games? Get a favorable playoff spot. Maybe possibly a home game for the playoffs. It's honestly very important to keep focus for our, for us. Like. We want to we want to win out ten and zero as at the end of the season before going to playoffs so we get that that seed. How's it feel going to the playoffs? It feels <laughs> it honestly feels really good. Like it's the best feeling I've ever felt. Well, I can appreciate a few minutes talking about the Union football team. Uh, congratulations once again, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you. That's Ik Urabor, the uh, Union's uh, running back, and we'll be back with the final wrap up of the Parting Shots podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hi, this is Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss. Once again, I'll be going head-to-head with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott with my weekly NFL picks and defending my championship. Go to dailygazette.com slash blogs and look for my picks on my Thinking It Through blog. You can find Ken's picks at dailygazette.com slash sports. Back to wrap up the podcast, and as Sarah said, look for her NFL picks along with mine at DailyGazette.com. Well, my four-game lead over Sarah has disappeared. Sarah went 12-2 and in Week 9, while I was 8-6. and We are both at 88-46-1. Can you say choke? Also, look for my blogs on NFL and college football TV coverage this week. You can find it at DailyGazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. If you're a college hockey fan, look for my weekly ECAC hockey face-off selections at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Union hockey beat writer Mike McGadden joins me on the next Parting Shots podcast. That will be posted Friday. 
We'll look back at last weekend's games against Canisius and look ahead to ECAC hockey games this weekend against Clarkson and St. Lawrence at Mesa Rink. If you have questions about Union hockey, Mike and I will answer them. Send your questions to shot at dailygazette.com. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Gazette sports writer and Hall of Famer Jim Schultz, New York Daily News sports writer Manish Mehta, Newsday sports writer Tim Healy, and Union College football running back I.K. Erebor. The Parting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot at dailygazette.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.